are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. We're in James chapter 1, and let's stand together out of respect for the Word of God, if you would please, and I'll read down a few verses here this morning, and then perhaps we'll uh, read a verse uh, uh, down the road here together, maybe verse 8 or so, but we're in James chapter 1, and look down with me, beginning in verse number 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. By the way, that word perfect means complete. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Would you read verse 8 with me? Ready, begin, please. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James here, uh, many believe this to be the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ who was converted after the resurrection of our Savior, uh, pins to the early uh, Christians here as they're scattered abroad. He's concerned about their spiritual growth and he gives some ingredients uh, to these believers to help them to grow spiritually. Some marks, if you will, that they can look to in their life my wife and I have four children, and what a joy it has been watching them grow up and, and marking their height over the years, you know, and you can kind of compare one child to the next at the, about the same age if you can get it on the right time there and so forth. But James gives us some marks that we can look at, and, and as we look into the mirror of God's Word, as it reflects to us how we're growing spiritually, uh, there are some evidences of spiritual growth. And perhaps this morning, as we look at these truths, God would uh, look into our heart this morning and help us to see the areas that we uh, need to apply to our lives to help us to grow and be the Christians that God has called us to be. Let's bow for prayer this morning. Father, what a thrill it is to be in your house. We pray for Pastor Mrs. Treber. God, give them the rest uh, that they desperately deserve and need. And God, I pray that you would bring them back to us, refreshed, recharged, and ready to go. And God, we're asking for your anointing upon this morning. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary. God, I pray that we would not hear from John Evertson this morning, but God, that your spirit would take your word and speak deeply to each of our hearts. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory and the praise for we ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, you may be seated this morning. I heard about a family who lived way up in the, in the backwoods, you know, and they were so far back there and they'd been disconnected from... Uh, uh, normal reality for so long that they hadn't updated some things and they were still using an outhouse of all things. They didn't have indoor plumbing and they were raising one boy in their little tiny cabin there and as the boy grew up and got older, he disdained that outhouse. 
And uh, he started learning about these modern conveniences, if you would, like bathrooms and running water and so forth. And, well, he hated that outhouse. It was hot and musty and smelly in the summer, and it was cold and damp in the winter. And as he moved towards his high school years, one spring, as the snow was melting and the creek next to the outhouse uh, began to swell a little bit, he got the bright idea, I'm going to get rid of that outhouse. He thought to himself, I've been asking Dad to, to bring indoor plumbing and expand the cabin and give our, our family a, a bathroom there. And so sure enough, one afternoon, he pushed that outhouse over and he rolled it into the creek nearby and watched that thing float away. He was so proud of himself until dinner came. He sat across the table from his father. His dad ate a little faster than normal, seemed a little bit frustrated, pushed his plate back from the table as the son was still in the middle of his meal and looked across at his son. He said, son, somebody pushed the outhouse in the creek this afternoon and I think that someone was you. The boy kind of hung his head a little bit. He's kind of playing with his food for a minute. Then he had a bright idea and he looked up. He said, dad, you're right. It was me and I'm very sorry. He said, you know, dad, I was learning in school about how George Washington chopped down the cherry tree. He was going to get in trouble with his father, but he owned up and told the truth and told his dad, I cut that cherry tree down, and so my dad, uh, George Washington's dad forgave him, and he didn't get in trouble. He said, Dad, what do you think? I've been honest with you about the outhouse. The father looked up at his son. He said, George Washington's father was not in the cherry tree when he chopped it down. I don't know about you, but sometimes life seems to get a little bit messy, amen? And sometimes problems have their way of finding us. And James is speaking here to these Christians under great persecution. He gives them the formula for having spiritual victory when things get a little discouraging and, and, and difficult. And, and uh, you've heard the statement, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. I know it sounds... You know, a little funny, but the reality is there's some biblical principles there. My wife actually has one of those signs that you can say what you want on them, and she posted on hers and put it in our, our family room there. When life hands you lemons, give them back and ask for coffee. Amen? And so I hope you had your coffee this morning. But, uh, but this is a biblical thought this morning. Throughout the Bible, there are great examples of people who turn defeat into victory. Christians who, instead of focusing on their triumph, uh, their trials, learned how to triumph over their trials. And, and people who could have played the blame game, having victory over uh, those obstacles and instead of becoming a victim to their problems. And I can't think of a greater example living today than our pastor and his wife. What a great example they have been to so many for so many years. And, and uh, I pray that you would pray for them and Thank God for them and express that love. I think a pastor's uh, birthday coming up a week, uh, two weeks actually from this Wednesday, I believe it is, and, and uh, thank God for them. But James tells us that we can have the same kind of victory today. No matter what the trials are on the outside, that's what he focuses on here in verses 1 through 12, or the temptations on the inside as he focuses on those verse 13 to uh, verse 27, through faith we can have Christian victory today. The result of victory is spiritual growth and maturity that God so desperately desires from His children. 
And so James teaches us this morning that there are some biblical ingredients that we need to apply to our lives if we're going to have victory over our trials. And the first one this morning we look at is a remarkable spirit. He says, count it all joy. James says, look, if you're going to have victory over your trials, you need to have a joyful attitude. I'm heard... I'm sure you've heard the statement, outlook determines outcome, and attitude determines altitude, and James tells us to expect trials. He says, uh, it's not if you fall into various testings, but when you fall into various testings, and the Christian who expects his life to be easy is in for a big surprise. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, in John chapter 16 and verse 33 Uh, uh, told the disciples, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You see, as Christians, we're either overcome by the world, the flesh, and the devil, or we overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And God desires for you and I, as born-again believers, to live as victors, not victims. Paul told his converts in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22 that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Peter also acknowledged the same principle in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12 as he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. We're in a spiritual battle, my friend, this morning. Satan fights against us and the world opposes us. We come to verse 2, and an important word there is the word count. My brethren, count. Count it all joy. It's a financial term. It means to evaluate. And Paul uses it several times in the book of Philippians in chapter 3. And when he became a Christian, Paul evaluated his life as he set new goals and he set new priorities. Have you believed that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature? Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Things that were once important to Paul became unimportant as his desire to know his Savior grew. And when we face the trials of life, we must evaluate them in light of the fact that God is at work in our lives. And I'm reminded of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12 and verse 2, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our values determine our evaluations, and if we, if we value our comfort and we don't value character, then our trials will get us all bent out of shape and angry. But if we value, and if we value the material and the physical more than we value the spiritual, we won't learn how to count it all joy. But if we, live only, if we live only for the present and forget about the eternal, then our trials will end up making us bitter instead of better Christians for the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Job's attitude in Job chapter 23, verse 10, as Job says, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as what? Gold. Amen. I love that song, Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. When trials come into your life, we need to learn to give thanks to the Lord and have a joyful attitude. 
as we look at these trials through the eyes of faith. Say, Brother Everson, how in the world is that even possible? Well, that leads me to the second thought this morning. It's simply this. He, he says in verse 3, knowing this, we need to have an understanding mind or a renewed understanding. Knowing this. What is it that Christians know that the world does not know? What is it that a born-again believer understands and comprehends that the world has no comprehension of? And I would submit to you this morning, it's the fact that our faith will always be tested. And you will never learn faith in comfortable surroundings, my friend. When God called Abraham to live by faith, He tested him in order to increase Abraham's faith. And God will test us to bring the very best out of us while Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us. When Satan throws a stumbling block in our way, you can rest assured that God looks down from heaven and says, that's a stepping stone for you. I want you to step up in the Christian life. The test of our faith proves our dependency upon God. And a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Reminded of John Wilkerson who lost his son years ago, right? Not far from here. I don't understand the heartache that a parent must face going through a trial of that magnitude. But I know that God makes no mistakes. What do we know as believers? Our faith is tested. What do we know as believers? That our, our trials and our tests don't work against us. They actually work for us. Verse 3, the word trying deals with approval. Peter helps us understand this in light of 1 Peter 1.7, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though he be tried with fire, might be found of the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. During the California gold rush in the mid-1800s, a gold prospector would bring his sample, they called it ore, to the assayer's office, and they would test that ore there. And the sample itself often wasn't worth very much money, but, but the approval of that, or the official statement about that, could have been worth millions. This process of testing this ore could potentially assure that gold prospector that he had a very profitable gold mine. God's approval of our faith this morning is precious. Because it assures us that our faith is real, that it's genuine, and those trials and those heartaches and those tests are working for us when we exercise faith in our Father during those seasons. Romans 8:28, we like to quote it, but it's so hard to live. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Paul told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction. By the way, we may be in affliction in, in seasons of life here that don't feel like they're very light, but when we get to eternity and look back, we'll call them light afflictions. He said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You may be in a season this morning that doesn't feel like it's just a moment. But in light of eternity, it is. 
He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We know that our faith is tested. We know that these trials work for us. But we know that these trials help us to grow and mature spiritually as we respond properly. God desires to produce patience through our lives and through these seasons because patience is an endurance. It's the ability to keep going through difficult times. Patience is not a passive acceptance of our circumstances. It's a courageous perseverance in the face of adversity and suffering and difficulty. You see, immature people, they don't know anything about patience. Immature people are impatient. Mature Christians are patient and they're persistent. And impatience and unbelief go hand in hand just as faith and patience go hand in hand. Hebrews eleven twelve, the faith chapter, the Bible says that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherited the promise. Isaiah 28, 16 says, he that believeth shall not make haste. James says, look, I I want you to understand something, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You see, God desires to do that working in us because of the blessings that come from that spiritual growth. God desires to help us to grow spiritually, to develop this patience, because patience is the key to so many blessings in the Christian life. When a Christian learns to wait on the Lord, they begin to come to the place where God can begin to do great things through their lives. Abraham ran ahead of God in Genesis chapter 16. He married Hagar and he brought a lot of sorrow and heartache uh, into his home. And by the way, we're still facing, after all of these years, the aftershock of that hasty decision. Moses ran ahead of God as he killed a man and he ended up 40 years in the backside of the desert leading the sheep and learning to become the meekest man that's ever lived and a man of great patience. The primary vehicle that God has chosen to use to develop patience in your life and mine this morning is these trials and testings that come uh, to us in the journey of life. And this type of spiritual maturity cannot be gained by reading a book or attending a Bible college class or listening to a sermon or, or praying. And all of these are good things, but... It's only through the fire of life and the difficulties we face that we learn to trust God as we are obedient to Him. The result is patience. Knowing this, James said, when we face our trials joyfully because we know God is going to do something in us and then He's going to do something through us. The greater the heartache and the trial. The more yielded we are to what God is desiring to do in us, the greater the blessings then come and flow through us. That includes our ministry this morning as well. God has a purpose for our trials and He fulfills His purpose as we trust Him. There is no substitute for a renewed mind. 
We have to have a remarkable spirit and having that joyful attitude, but there needs to be a renewed mind. There needs to be an understanding that the world doesn't have, and that is God will test our faith, and that these trials and these testings work for us, and they don't work against us, and God is producing patience through our life, and as we are yielded to Him, the blessings then begin to come. Satan easily can defeat the ignorant Christian, but he cannot overcome a Christian that knows the Word of God and understands that God has a purpose and a plan for all suffering. What are the necessary ingredients for living a Christian life of victory? We need to have a remarkable spirit. Count it all joy. We need to have a renewed understanding knowing this. But thirdly, James tells us that we need to have a radical surrender. Let patience have her perfect work. God does not build our character this morning without our cooperation. If we resist Him, He oftentimes will then chasten us. But if we will simply submit to Him, then He can begin to accomplish the work He desires to accomplish. He's not satisfied with doing a job halfway. (laughs) He wants a completed or a perfect work. He wants a finished product. He wants a mature Christian. Years ago, our family was at McDonald's. I took them there because I have money. Thank you for laughing. Amen, that was corny. Amen. My wife always tells me, don't tell that one again, you know. I skipped one in Sunday school, I almost told, but I won't get off on that. But anyways, uh, and, and we were there, and the kids were younger, and they were playing on the play area or whatever, and after several minutes, and we were eating together, and the kids were having a good time playing. I looked over, and all of a sudden, off to my left, there was a young boy laying on the ground, and his face was turning all different colors, and his arms and legs were flailing around, and I rushed immediately over to him. And all these things were running through my head all at one time, you know, and I'm, I'm taken by the fact that the kid is completely out of control. It's very evident to me that he's lodged something in his uh, air passage, and I'm not sure if it's a French fry or a chicken nugget or, uh, you know, part of the toy from the Happy Meal. I didn't know what it was. And I rushed over to his side, and as I'm rushing over to his side trying to assess what's happening, I'm taken by the fact that as out of control the boy was, the mother was very calm, cool, and collected. And as I got to his side, and I'm trying to prepare myself for what I'm going to have to do to unlodge whatever is keeping him from getting oxygen to his body, I was so taken back, I looked at his mother, and I said, what is wrong? And she said, oh, nothing. He just doesn't want to leave right now. Oh, Brother Martinez, you ever stick your foot in your mouth, brother? Talk about open mouth and insert foot. It just kind of came out before I could stop it. I just said, you let him do that? Just kind of came out. That was the wrong thing to say. I learned my lesson right there. Watch that boy throw a fit because he didn't want to leave the playground at McDonald's. I've often thought about that and thought, you know, The only thing I dislike more than seeing a three-year-old throw a temper tantrum is watching an adult throw a temper tantrum. God's goal for our life is spiritual maturity. Many Christians try to shelter themselves from the trials of life, and as a result, they never grow up. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, 
For, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's a work God, God does for us, salvation. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. This is the work that we know as sanctification, the work that God does in us to build our character to be more like Jesus and conform to the image of his Son. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's the work he does through us, that service. God takes time to work in us before He works through us. He took 25 years working in Abraham before He gave him the promised son. 13 years before He began to elevate Joseph in Egypt. 80 years preparing Moses for 40 years of service. And even our Lord Jesus Christ took three and a half years to train some disciples to build their character before He left this earth. But God will not work in us without our surrender. There must be a surrendered will. A mature Christian doesn't argue with the will of God as Jonah did. But he accepts the will of God joyfully. As Ephesians 6, 6 tells us to do the will of God from the heart. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like that kid at McDonald's throwing a temper tantrum against my Creator God and Savior. In order to live the victorious Christian life, we must have that remarkable spirit, count it all joy. We must have a renewed understanding, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. We must have a radical surrender, letting patience have her maturing work. But we must close with this thought. There needs to be a real faith, verse 5 and 6. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And then he goes on in verse 6. Let him ask in what? faith. Someone said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart while wisdom is the ability to put things back together. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Brother Poussin preached a powerful message Sunday night. I hope you'll listen to it if you get a chance. And I like his definition. He said, wisdom is knowledge and understanding applied. A much better definition. Why is it that we need wisdom when we're going through trials? Why not ask God to give us strength or to pour out His grace or even deliver us from the trials? Because we need God's wisdom so we don't waste the opportunity that He's giving us to grow spiritually. Because this world that's lost and without Christ does not need to continue to look at immature Christians' lives. They need to see Christians that are filled with the Spirit of God and dead to self. We are to ask in faith. The greatest enemy to answer prayer, to, uh, to answer prayer is unbelief. Jesus could do no mighty works in Nazareth because of their unbelief. So this morning, faith says yes and unbelief says no. G James, in our text, he compares the doubting Christian to a wave of the sea. Up one minute, down the next. Up one minute, and down the next. This is a double-minded man. And the Bible says they're unstable in all their ways. May God help us to be the stable, secure Christians that He's called us to be. This world needs a revival, and it must start in your heart. It must start in mine. This morning, may we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God and the circumstances that He's allowed in our lives. An unbelieving Christian should not expect to receive anything of the Lord. This morning as we close in prayer, I ask you this morning, do you have that joyful spirit?
during the difficult seasons? And are you understanding what the world doesn't understand, that the trying of your faith worketh patience? And are you surrendered to God as He desires to accomplish His will and work in and through your life? And are you asking God to give you the wisdom by faith, staying faithful to Him? Because God usually doesn't help us by removing the trials. But He does give us the strength to purify us through the trials. As Job said, when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. You know what I am reminded of as I think about these thoughts, and I close with this. As we think through these thoughts, the greatest example is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ, our great example, He understood that the Father had a plan. And He submitted Himself. Father, not my will, but Thy will be done. And this morning, because of that, I'm a born-again child of God and on my way to heaven. And if you don't know for sure you're on your way to heaven, I want to encourage you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. He left the glory and the splendor of heaven to come to this sin-cursed earth. God robed in human flesh. He understands us. He's lived among us. He's felt every feeling that you could ever feel. Uh, He's had every heartache and trial you could imagine, and He understands what you're going through. What a friend we have in Jesus. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to challenge you to trust Him today. You see, every individual goes through trials in life, difficulties and challenges. But I have no idea how people go through them, Brother Nikolai, without the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.